Hey, 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 this is NFL Hall of Famer Ray Lewis. I'm excited to announce my new podcast, Everyday Greatness, the Ray Lewis Podcast. I'll be talking with friends, family members, old teammates, athletes, celebrities, moguls, and guess what? I'll be talking to you. Listen, this is all in the search for everyday greatness. So I'm asking you to come along with me on this ride. Download new episodes of Everyday Greatness, the Ray Lewis Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and on PodcastOne.com. It's not what you have. It's what's inside of you that actually inspires greatness. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome back to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson, talking AFC West preview. We've got the other three divisions already out there in podcast land. The East, the South, and the North, they're all out there. Go check them out. But let's talk some West today, Sam. Mm -hmm. From the uh, conventional studio setup. We're trying something else. The A set that everyone else has been using. Ours was like the 1A set or A1 set i don't think it's a, a stylistic choice as much as we just couldn't be bothered to move the tables this time oh yeah this was yeah. that's a good background it's nice you it's got pff nice. you got the champion chiefs you got I, we hall need to of fame f- we need to figure out what we're gonna put on those win- these aren't windows by the way the, if you're watching if you're listening this is all meaningless to you but if you're right. watching these things here that look like windows are actually monitors there's tv screens that we can project, put whatever onto but the moment it's a beautiful you know backdrop of paul brown stadium and and hometown cincinnati we need to figure out what we could put there we i I think we should get like a giant comedy hd picture of you and me and like you know you and your brunel jersey me and the jared allen jersey whatever making idiot faces Me taking up all of the wall right taking up merely one of those squares yeah Yeah. i think that's what we should do i think we should let's look into it we will uh doctor up the studio yes for the podcast some would say doctor some would say vandalize but whatever it's a nice studio. We don't want to. We don't want to mess it up. No. Anyway, let's get to the AFC West. Let's start right away with the Denver Broncos and Sam. As, as we were putting together these position rankings, looking at the Broncos, every team repeat over and over again comes down to the quarterback. However, when you look at the other position groups, we're talking top fifteen in position groups: offensive line, running back for whatever, tight ends, <laughs> defensive line, linebacker. Uh, secondary's close, I think. And secondary, I'll, I'll explain too. Where I don't know that I care as much about the talent because of the scheme and Vic Fangio and what he's been able to do there are the Denver Broncos one of the better rosters in the NFL they are with a couple of significant caveats right so I think a a giant percentage of this roster is really really good and this is so there's three caveats to that one the love we have for the receiving group is based a little bit on faith 
because we don't know yeah. how the rookies are going to show out, right? But it's based. Yeah, it might not be year one, right? Either. But we love Jerry Judy. I really like the potential that KJ Hamler has, particularly in the specific role they're going to have for him there with Judy and with Cortland Sutton already there. Right. So that trio has the potential to be phenomenal, but it's still potential, right? We don't know. In reality, the idea of hitting on both rookie receivers early is pretty slim. Right. So that's one caveat. Two, we don't have any idea what the hell Drew Locke is right now, right? We saw a few games from him. There was some good. There was some bad. A lot of the hype was based entirely on just not being Joe Flacco, right? I think it was based on they went four and one. I mean, that's part of it, right? But it's like for the first time all season, we saw signs of life at the quarterback position, right? He wasn't that much different than Joe Flacco. He wasn't different, but it was how it it was how it it manifested itself, right? Flacco was just this miserable mediocrity. Brandon Allen, the same thing, and then Locke comes in. All right, there's some flashes here, right? Overall. It's not that different, but there's flashes. There's at least signs of life and progress here. But like, it's really small sample size, and it wasn't that good. So it's all projection about you know what you think he can be. And I do think he can be good. Like I liked him coming out in terms of upside and ceiling and all those things that sure. people chase. Um, and then the third caveat is the offensive line, right? And you know we know that offensive lines are to a degree dependent on the quarterback, but I don't think that the quarterback is necessarily going to help this one out. I don't think he's going to be a reason that this line looks dramatically better than it was. I think signing DeMar Dotson for nothing, you know, as a sort of street-free yeah. agent, is a really smart move because that potentially is an immediate upgrade at right tackle for them. Um, Reisner was well, because, encouraging. Because Juwan James right, yeah, opted yeah, when, out. Yes, and part exactly. of the reason why they ranked so high from an offensive line standpoint was Juwan James when he is healthy. only played 63 snaps last year when he is healthy. He's solid. One of the better right tackles in the NFL. Reisner, I think, is encouraging. And then I think Garrett Bowles is possibly not as bad as people want to claim he is, but is still obviously not like a strength at left yeah. tackle. Um, so that that those combinations of things are the concerns I have for this roster. I thought you were going to throw Vaughn Miller in there. as a Because the defensive line ranking, aided by Jarrell Casey for a seventh rounder, that was awesome. But the defensive line ranking, it includes – both edge defenders when we rank these things. Bradley Chubb and Vaughn Miller both coming in with questions. Vaughn, his first year under 90, which is incredible. Eight straight years of 90-plus grades uh, from 2011 through 18, and then last year, not and, as much. And it was under 80. <laughs> it was just, under 80, right. It's not just that he dipped slightly under 90. Like He went under 90 and then all the way under 80 in the same decline. Let's So there are some question marks here. They, they are one of the teams that they can be – um, that can be sneaky. I know our colleagues over at the PFF forecast, uh, Eric Eager in particular, has said, look, every year, um, not that history always repeats itself, but let's just look at recent years. The two, Starting in 2016, the New York Giants were very good. Eli Manning was not very good, and they won a lot of games. 2017, Jaguars, Blake Bortles, not very good. They won a lot of games. 2018, Bears, they won a lot of games with Mitch Trubisky not playing all that well. And then 2019, the Buffalo Bills. Won a lot of games with subpar quarterback play. So I think Eric has said this could be the Broncos this year. So even if Drew Locke doesn't necessarily take a huge step forward uh, and just plays mediocre football, maybe this Broncos team can compete. Now, I don't love this division. I mean, the the division's tough, starting with the Chiefs, obviously. Um, and maybe it's just me because I think every team's going to be good. I think everybody's going to be You should be positive. Yeah. I like that about you. Every team's going to be, you know, it's training camp. 
everybody's excited. You're a very optimistic person. You see yes. the best in everything. Every division's tough this year. It's very, it's uh, it's quaint sometimes. Except the South. Yeah, every sure. division's tough. So, but even then, your silver lining is that hey, I could get a job in here in this division. Yeah, right. Yeah. I and mean, that's that's how bad they are. How hard could it be? So, I don't know. The thing about Locke, I, I think he needs to be pretty good for the Broncos. Yeah. I think they have a good rock, roster, but he does need to take a step forward, I think, for them to do some damage. He does, but I really like the way they've approached it, right? I don't know that it's necessarily for the right reasons. Like, I think a good part of the motivation in terms of how they approach this offseason is the idea that, like, John Elway can't start again at quarterback, right? Like, even if he had a shot at another one, he could. Like, there's no way he could say, hey, look, I don't, I'm not sold on Drew Locke yet. I have a shot at Justin Herbert or whoever. I'm going to take this guy and of start Of course over. you could. I don't know that he could. I honestly don't know that he has the real estate. Like the, the, the leg Oh, does run. Elway? No. Yeah, yeah. No. So uh, whatever we saw from Locke last year, if it was anything north of like complete and total disaster where you're throwing him away, if it was you know anything nor- north of Nathan Peterman levels where after like two starts you're already <laughs> done um, – he was going to embrace this guy as the starter going forward, at which point do everything you possibly can to make his life better, right? Which is, I think they did that. So Cortland Sutton was already there. Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler, I love as picks. I think they've gone about things in a similar way to the Buffalo Bills in terms of getting guys that will maximize separation and make his life easier. The forecast guys, George Eric, um, they had Josh Hermsmeyer on who wrote this really interesting piece at 538 about receiver separation and separation over what you expect for receivers. And if you listen to the forecast, they, were, they had this interesting conversation about it and about how much you should covet, essentially, receivers that will generate separation. So guys that show... This is your thing. You've been right. touting this for a while. So he's put numbers to it. It's great. And guys that generate a lot of this separation over expectation are the guys you would think... Uh, predominantly it's Devontae Adams it's Keenan Allen guys that we recognize as technicians when it comes to route running I think Jerry Judy is the most sophisticated route running technician we have seen come out of college maybe since we've been doing any of this right certainly he's up there with Julio uh yeah with uh, Amari Cooper rather and Calvin Ridley two other Alabama products when I first watched Judy on tape, he reminded me of Calvin Ridley, but somebody that had like cranked up his speed right. to like 125% and you Ridley's know, on the fast. video. Right. And Ridley's known for being fast, right? right? But Judy, like every, it's not even that he's fast. It's that, because I think, you know, Ridley was faster in terms of a 40 or whatever. But when you watch his foot movement, foot speed, in terms of the, the movements he's able to string together in running a route, he does that quicker than anybody I've ever seen. Well, so Ridley was interesting, too, because now both guys disappointed in the three cone, right? which I, I find interesting. And I think a lot of people in, um, will look at receivers and they think, well, Julian Edelman's this really agile guy and his footwork's spectacular and that's how he gets open. But I remember you watching Ridley saying it's not necessarily the footwork. It's that he knows where he's going. Right. He knows how to get the cornerback to go somewhere where else. he wants right. and to go the and then he goes the opposite way. So it's not necessarily it's not like. You're just using athleticism. You're using technique, yeah. and you're moving the defender where you want them to go, so that you can then separate. And Judy has the same thing as Ridley in that regard. Only he does it faster, right? right? So there's one play in particular that I have pulled up. as it, it's like a simple, um, you know, outside stop, hitch, sort of slash comeback. You know, outside release, take the stop at like ten yards, hope that the cornerback you know disappears off a few yards, and you have the separation. It's basically like a, an easy ten yard pass. 
And he gains more separation on that route than anybody I've ever seen doing that, right? The cornerback, by the time he like throws on the brakes, turns around looking for the sort of back shoulder ball to arrive, the corner is like stumbling and falling forward 10 (laughs) yards. It's absurd. And he does that by stringing together like three or four little moves in sequence that first unbalance the corner and then completely send him in the wrong direction all the while he knows that he's about to like throw on the brake stop and turn around for a pass that's about to arrive like my point with with Judy is that i think he's one of the mo- the best separators in uh, all of college football he'll be one of the best in the nfl as well and not only will he do what you know stefan diggs uh, cole beasley and, and john brown do in buffalo in terms of maximizing the margin for error that a quarterback has at the catch point, right? You're going to be more open, so you give him a better window to throw that, a bigger window to throw that into. But I think he also changes the picture at the catch point, right? And this is one of the interesting parts about the conversation they had on the forecast is when do you you take the reading of separation from, right? Do you take it at the point the quarterback decides to throw it to him? Do you take it at the point the ball arrives? Do you take it somewhere in the middle? Do you take a combination? Blah, blah, right? But I think that receivers that separate influence it at both ends of that, right? You give them a bigger margin for error at the catch point, but if you get more open, you also ch- – at the earlier on in the route, at the sort of the break point of the route, you also change the picture in the quarterback's Yeah, the head. quarterback says that's And I open. think that's particularly important for young quarterbacks, right? Because we've talked about this before. I think the single biggest thing with the speed of the game and adjusting to the NFL is the processing time. And it's being able to work through your progression and read it quickly and get on to the next one. And I think the big reason that's a problem is because you have to adjust to college open versus NFL open. Right. I told this story before about how you know Peyton Manning, <clears throat> Peyton Manning was getting reamed by Bruce Arians in a meeting because he threw the ball away. Bruce Arians is like, why didn't you throw it to any one of these three guys? He's like, what do you mean? Like, they're all covered. He's like, Peyton, this is open in the NFL. Like, you, you need to understand that and you need to get, like, get that quickly because – it's different, right? You, you can't wait for a guy to be three yards open like you could in college. This guy is open in the NFL. You need to put the ball in there. So I think a big part of why young quarterbacks hold the ball too long and why they're slow to process is that adjustment, is having to just take a beat every time, right? You look up, like, crap, he's not open. Wait, is the NFL open? Yes, he's NFL open. All right, I'm going to throw it anyway, right? So they're late with the ball. They hold on it, blah, blah, blah. But a guy like Judy has the potential to change that picture because he's going to be college open, not NFL open, a lot of the routes he runs. And that is huge for Drew Locke's development. Yeah, I think then, I mean, the other thing about Josh's work, too, the more I think about it, too, like the catch point thing, the best receivers are really good at separating at the catch point. I always call it subtle hand usage, right? right? They just know even when it's tight at the last second, I'm going to get away. Um, and that is important. And, and I think Sutton, ha- Sutton has some of that too. Yeah. So he um, made that point with con- like contested catch guys right. is that those guys separate as well. They just don't do it until the ball arrives, right? right. So if you're like boxing out a dude, you know, in the low post down in the end zone, you're still going to separate right at the end. A lot of the time, you're just going to do it at the, you know, the very last second. You right. lean away from him over here and he's left there. It's still separation. But, the, but some guys even do it so it like looks like. You know, an extra step yeah. as well. You know, so there's different ways of doing it. Um, I think the overall point, though, is the Broncos. Again, I, I like to look at an offense and say, how difficult is this offense to defend? And when you throw playmakers like Judy, who's got the route running that you said, KJ Hamler, 
who has speed plus quickness, right? So it's not just pure speed. It's also quickness. It's the ability to play outside or in the slot. His thing is cutting down on his drop rate, which, again, we know can fluctuate. And if he has a a four-drop season out of nowhere, I mean, that's going to be really valuable. Cortland Sutton, at six foot three, has some good wiggle after the catch. Actually makes people miss. He makes contested catches, and he really emerged last year. So three guys that are difficult to cover. I also love Tim Patrick, you know my my six foot five Tim Patrick, who just dominated in the Pac twelve every time I watched him. But I mean, also if those guys pan out, you, you've got a Tim Patrick, you've got a Deshaun Hamilton who isn't useless. You know, you've got some other guys on this roster that suddenly become really intriguing four and five guys. Absolutely, I, I love the depth there. And then you throw the tight end position out there. Noah Fant, their first round pick. I think my knock on Noah Fant is for a first round tight end. He's not the guy that you're going to necessarily build an entire passing attack around. He doesn't have great ball skills. He doesn't have he's not great at anything except running really fast. You know, he's he he runs in a straight line fast. And we saw that last year and it shows up in some of Drew Locke's yards after the catch numbers, mm. seventh highest in the NFL because you had Noah Fant taking a shallow for 75 yards and things like that. So, if Fant is your number 3 option, and all he has to do is run the seam and run some shallows and just be fast and make the defense cover another fast guy relative to his position, that's awesome. And then they drafted Albert O, who our other friends, the other podcast, two for one, uh, Austin Gale said was slow. Mm. And then he ran really fast at the combine. We appear to not be good at that between Eric saying, you know, <laughs> no, Eric, eyeball and fast Eric, Eric's before the number. Thing, yeah. And Austin eyeball and Albert O is a slow guy. We, we don't have a great record this year at eyeball and speed, at least by the numbers, Albert O's fast. So you've got two speedy tight ends, Nick Vanette's out there too. And then three difficult receivers to cover. When I was writing up this offense, by the way, look at when all these guys came into the league. There's like nobody on this offense that was that has been there. Oh, it's like last three years, right? For yeah. more than like two years. Melvin Gordon is like is the veteran right. of the group that and they he, just brought like in. He only just arrived, right? So yeah. like, there's there's literally nobody that's been on this roster for more than like two or three years. It's nuts. Um, so going back to those Drew Lock numbers because it's going to come down to him, right? Fifty three point three percent of his yards came after the catch. So in this five game sample where they went four and one, I think there's two ways to look at it. He was pretty good. Uh, the overall grade wasn't great. I, I think it was influenced a little bit by a snow game against Kansas City, which was a disaster. I think he graded in the 20s. It was really low. Um, other than that, he wasn't great. He was pretty good. He was better than he showed in the preseason. There were some preseason plays where it's like, hello, linebacker, I'm going to throw the ball to you. I can't mm. see. My issue with Locke coming out was uh, just being able to see the field and recognizing it. And it reminds me a little bit of like when Dak stepped onto the field in the preseason and he just got it. Yeah. And you didn't have to worry about him. Locke didn't have that in the preseason. But when you saw him in the regular season, it was like, okay, he at least gets it. He's not – He's there's some bad plays in there, but he's not a disaster. And he was right? always supposed to be more of a longer-term project than For sure. some of the other quarterbacks in his class. But here's the concerning one, right? Big arm, big upside, big this, big that. He's – I mean, his stat profile screams game manager or what you'd expect from like a Gardner Minshew if you just described – if you just read his scouting report, right. it was seventh highest in yards after the catch for Locke, lowest grade on 10-plus yard, uh, yard throws, lowest grade in the NFL. Limited sample, again, but it's not the breakdown you're expecting. So there's actually no data that says, sure, Drew Locke's going to be awesome this year or even good. I think if you look through their roster, their roster and offense, I think I'm right in saying there's literally nobody there that was on the Denver Broncos roster before 2017. Including yeah, the offensive line. Like they've rebuilt the offensive line. 
the in terms of them drafting, like Garrett Bowles and Jake Butt, they, those are the two guys from 2017 that are still there. Um, everyone else is like 2018 or or last year. Uh, it's it's I've I don't know if I've ever seen such a like such a um, determined commitment to youth that the Broncos have right now. Like this is this has to be the youngest offense in the NFL and one of the youngest we've ever seen. Like everybody there has only been drafted the last couple of years or arrived in free agency immediately. Let me just wax. That's why there's excitement there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let me just wax lyrical about KJ Hamler for a minute and then you can tell me about the defense. Um, Hamler is one of the most intriguing and exciting players in this draft, right? Guys, incredibly fast, incredibly uh, – he's just one of those natural playmakers. And I had his name written on the corner of a whiteboard I had in my office since literally the first game he ever had um, that I happened to be grading back, back then, right? And it was a kick return. And like literally wrote the guy's name down. It's like, oh, that, that's, that's somebody to keep an eye on. Love it. And finally comes out in the draft. And it was funny. They were, they were like, I can't remember what game it was, but they were basically buried. Um, he had been, they'd been kicking it sort of a few yards into the end zone all game long. And the up man had been like telling him to sit down every time, right? And he, he was, you could tell he was like twitching to want to do this. Deep into the, and like less than a minute left or something, they kick it to him again. It's, it's a couple yards deep. This time the up man doesn't give him a firm no, right? He like hesitates. And Hamler took a beat as well. He like caught the ball took a second, and then eventually decided, screw it, I'm coming out, right? Now, I don't know if it was a great decision because he got, like, hit at the seven-yard line or something, right? But once he broke that tackle, he's, like, gone down the sideline for 55 yards, and suddenly they're in business. He ends up being the guy that catches a touchdown to either tie the game, send it to overtime, whatever. Anyway, clearly a playmaker, um, but he's tiny, right? He's, like, 5'9", 169 pounds or something, Um so the big and played almost all the time from the slot. So when you're projecting him coming out, it's like, well, can he play outside? Because that changes everything, right? If he can play outside and he becomes a Brandon Cooks, that's worth a first round pick. If he can't and he's only a slot guy, I think that caps where you take him in the draft and he probably is a second or a third round pick. But what I love about this is it doesn't matter anymore because the Broncos took him in the second round and they already have. Cortland Sutton on the outside. They already have Jerry Judy from the first round. So he can be just a slot guy only and a return man. And as a slot guy, the thing that he was best at is not the um, Julian Edelman underneath, you know, whip routes and all that kind of stuff. What he's best at is the Tyreek Hill over the top vertical stuff from the slot. And that, I think, is still where Tyreek Hill is at his most dangerous is if you give him a free release from the slot and he's running vertical, like, good luck. And you, and that's as difficult as it is for receivers to transition to the NFL. Right. If Hamler's your number three and you're limiting him to those types of things, you can get value out of him this year. And now that can be his, like, primary role. It's like yeah. all you are now is the guy that's chewing up a cushion. You're the cover three beater. Right, with a free release up the middle yep. going vertical. And defenses have to worry about that at the same time as how they shut down Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy on the outside. Like, again – Two rookies hitting year one is just it's sure it's not it's not good odds, right? But these two have the potential and the fit is fantastic for them to be so good out of the gate and really help Drew Locke. So 
I love it. I can't wait to see those guys play. You mentioned the offensive line. DeMar Dotson has just an underrated. To be honest, the Bucks were going into the draft with just this massive question mark at right tackle, and they were maneuvering to just make sure that they got Tristan Wirfs. Mm-hmm. Like, if they just brought back DeMar Dotson, he's been a good, solid right tackle, assuming he's been wanting to play. He's back now. He's been a good, solid right tackle um, for 10 years. Um, so he's now in Denver, and um, they're pretty good across the board there. They actually ranked 13th in just overall PFF offense grade last year. Mm. So they were in the green in our grading across the board, except a 59 passing grade. That was the only thing that was that was different. They were the only team in the top 15 to be that low from a passing grade. So they're they're good. They they have talents on both sides. And now defensively, Vaughn Miller, can he bounce back? Bradley Chubb coming off of injury. Who again? I think is more of a complimentary rusher than this impact number five uh, overall pick. But then you add Jarrell Casey to the mix. They were really good against the run last year in that front seven, including at linebacker Alexander Johnson was the guy that uh, came in and emerged as a really old rookie after all of his off-field issues. Uh, so they're solid in the front seven as well, and potentially really good if Vaughn is back to form. Uh, if Chubb is that good number two rusher, complimentary piece, and Jarrell Casey still has it, that's a potential steal for the seventh overall pick he was did he land in our top 100 last year i think he was right at the bottom end the guy could still play now my question's in the secondary uh coverage wise they were they were they were good last year justin simmons uh breakout year last year um but that's tough to bank on right it's tough to bank on a guy that was pretty good became an all pro safety for us last year made a ton of plays got to see that again from him but then you have A.J. Boye, which I thought was a really nice way to not complete, not replace Chris Harris, but at least give you a potential high-end corner. But this is where there's all this is where all the question marks are, right? Boye, what is he? Bryce Callahan, a little bit better in the slot. I mean, they, Isaac Yadam, they, they don't they don't have great names here. Where I don't care as much is the Fangio deal, right? 2018, Fangio was the architect of that Bears defense that had Prince. On the outside, Amukamara, mm-hmm. um, they were just solid at corner, right? And they were just in that Eddie Jackson became a playmaking safety, so maybe he can duplicate that again with Simmons. And you know, I just think they can tape it up, mask it a little bit. They play a lot of too high stuff. They play a lot of things that um, protect their corners just a little bit. So I think they'll be okay. This also could be a disaster, though. <laughs> That's the thing. Like, this could land in disaster zone. If all these things I'm saying, eh, you know, I think they can do it. I think they can do it. But, like, Boye was at his best two years ago. Right. Bryce Callahan, pretty good slot. They don't have a true number two corner there. Kareem Jackson and Justin Simmons at safety. Uh, Jackson's getting a little bit older. Simmons has one elite year under his belt. Right. So, if they're the, the most question marks on the defense, clearly, maybe on the entire team, the most question marks are in the secondary. And then you mentioned with the offensive line, Garrett, Garrett Bowles at left tackle, maybe better than we think, but still top three in penalties every single year. It's not great. Um, and, of course, Drew Locke. Yeah. Mark <clears throat> I know this is a running back free zone, but that backfield is pretty incredible as well. Um, Philip Lindsay, Royce Freeman, Melvin Gordon, like that's a hell of a trio. It is. It might not matter if the offensive line is garbage, though at least, as you were saying, they're better run blocking than they are pass blocking. 
So, you know, the run the run game might be really successful anyway. Lindsay's one of the highest in the league yards before contact since entering yes. the league. He's and part of that's a speed, part of that's just, you know. He's a lot like he's in the he's in the Jamal Charles mold of guys that will skew that number high because they're fast enough to shoot through gaps before we getting touched. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's not it's not 100% a running back number the way it isn't with Derrick Henry the other way, but it does like his speed has the potential to sort of boost that number. All right, so Denver Broncos are they are they just that sleeper type team? They're a little bit better than expected. What do you what's your final expectation for the Broncos? I like this team. I, as you know, I, so much of it is question marks. You know, like you said, the entire defense is a question mark, but it could go either way. Their defense is a lot like the entire Jets roster in terms of wide range of outcomes. Um, and then I re- I really like the offense. I, I'm not I'm not confident in it. But I really like its potential. Like I could I see, see it. I just want to watch it. Yeah, you know? I could see this offense becoming really good, really fast. But not to the point where I would be willing to like bet on it happening. So you know, I think this Denver team is going to be pretty good, but maybe not. It might not show up in record because of the division, because they're going to have to face the Chiefs twice. Ah, uh, yeah, you're using my cop out. I agree. I think you could end up seeing a team that like 2021 is really good, but 2020 is like a six seven win team that we know is better than that to steal the point as well that that eric has made before if nothing else too you accelerate finding out what you know about drew lock oh yeah because we could be sitting here a year from now and like man those receivers do look really good and the line was solid but we did not produce offensively that's the quarterback's problem we need another one mm-hmm. and and you want to make that quarterback decision after year two not after year four so having better talent around him does does help that quite a bit so um Let's move on. Kansas City Chiefs, defending Super Bowl champs, uh, at a running back in the first round, mm-hmm. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Uh, but all, all of a sudden important because Damian Williams, an opt-out. Damian Williams, potential Super Bowl MVP, ends up mm-hmm. opting out, Sam. So can anybody stop the Chiefs? Are we overrating the Chiefs who just won the Super Bowl? No. I don't think you can overrate a team that has Patrick Mahomes as the quarterback, almost regardless of what is around him. I mean, think about how close they were the year before to the Super Bowl, right? We're talking about a D4 offside penalty away from them beating the Patriots and being the team in the Super Bowl. Now, they might not have won it. They lost to the Rams the first time around in that insane shootout of 50-plus points either side, you know? Yeah. But they were literally an offside penalty away from being there, right? Um this was so Patrick Mahomes, three years into his career, not having played the first year, is really, really close away from having a 5,000 yard, 50 touchdown season and two Super Bowl championships under his belt, right? He is transcendent. He's the best quarterback in the NFL. I know we've talked about how, you know, Russell Wilson is right there on his heels, but Mahomes is the standard right now. He is absolutely phenomenal. I don't know that it matters if he has a particularly good receiving core in terms of helping him, but oh, by the way, he does. So that's an, See, an added boost. I'm going to say, say it again. I'll say I say it a lot on the podcast. We haven't seen him without this, and Correct. I think we have to lay out the fact that before he got there, the year that he was a rookie, before he actually started playing, Alex Smith was putting up ridiculous production. Yes, with this group of receivers, not Sammy Watkins, but Tyree Kill emerging as a real wide receiver, not just a gimmick player. And, of course, Travis Kelsey, the mismatch maker, and the play calling. Yes. You know, with the combination of Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy, and that whole deal. So that system produced a really productive Alex Smith, who, by the way, checked down Alex, led the league in deep passing yards that year mm-hmm. by a wide margin. 
Okay. Big reason why he led the league in passer rating because yes. <laughs> DVR numbers were insane. All that said is to never take anything away from Holmes, who I do think is awesome, but we've also seen awesome combined with the supporting cast, and yeah. that's led to special. Correct. And this is like, this is sort of making my original point, right? Is that, yeah, I mean, I think the foundation of all of this is Patrick Mahomes, but oh, by the way, he's also in a great sur- uh, a surround, a surrounding, right? In terms of, I mean, Eric Eager's article in terms of quantifying play callers. Andy Reid was the number one guy. So he's got the number one play caller boosting him up, right? And Eric and, and Josh Hermsmeyer and George talked about the single biggest component in terms of separation is probably the scheme, play calling, right? So you've got the best quarterback in the NFL. You've got the best play caller in the NFL. You've got Tyree Kills, the fastest guy in the NFL. And all these things are combining to make them the most unstoppable passing attack the league has ever seen. So all those things put together, of which I think Mahomes is the most important component, mean you cannot overrate this team. Like they are going to be the number one contender, I think, basically every single season until those things stop existing. The uh, If you want to figure out what K.J. Hamler can do, you could watch what they did with Mecole Hardman last yeah, yeah, year yeah. in Kansas City because it really was get in the slot. We're going to run verticals and overs with you. Uh, you're not our number one option. You're the number three receiver on the team. And that's you what, run sub 4-4. Four, four. And that's what Hill was doing before he became the, right. the complete all-round receiver that he is now. That was, the, that was the way they got Tyree Kill into the game the first time, right, when he was young. His first year there, they were doing the same thing. And then he transitioned to more of this all-round weapon, and Miko Hardman got that role, became the guy that was doing that. So, yeah, absolutely. That is the blueprint for what Hamler can do. 18.9 yards per reception for Hardman. Um, so my po- my ho- the whole thing on Mahomes, my point, and we made this around the draft, that's where Kansas City, I think, needs to continue to add to the team. Like, don't even, don't even try to discover how good Patrick Mahomes really is. I wonder if Mahomes right. what could just— What happens if we handicap him? Yeah, what if we could just elevate <laughs> any old receiving core because he's so special and invest more at linebacker or yeah. somewhere else? Like, that. It, this isn't a 2020 discussion. This is like a Chiefs going forward discussion. I, I'm saying Mahomes is part of what makes Mahomes special is the ability to throw the ball 70 yards if he really wants to, um, is to have all the, to, to have these speed receivers. Cause some of those, uh, Hardman plays, it's the ability to get the ball to this guy 40 and 50 yards down the field, almost like on a whim. Cause Mahomes isn't always throwing with anticipation. It's like, Oh, this dude's open. He's fast. Let's just chuck it and he can get it there. Um, continue to surround him with crazy speed. Um, now adding Clyde Edwards Alaire to the mix. Again, we would never draft a running back in the first round, but the guy's going to benefit. He's tough to tackle. He played in a system where he lined up all over the place. They ran a lot of empty at LSU. He seems like he's pretty equipped you know, to contribute right away. Um, from a fantasy standpoint, it's not even that he's going to catch 100 passes. It's just they're going to score a ton of points, and mm-hmm. at some point they're going to hand it to him inside the five, probably 15 or 20 times this year, and he'll accidentally stumble into 15, I mean, you know, 12 Touchdowns, whatever it might be, 12 rushing touchdowns. So they're going to produce offensively. I thought studying their offensive line was fascinating. It was much like what I described of the Texans in the last show. Um, you're, I'm like, these not a good run blocker, not a good run blocker, good pass blocker, good pass blocker. They, they're good for today's NFL, top to bottom, on this offense. What do you think of Sammy Watkins? Speaking of Hermsmeyer. I think Sammy Watkins is a good enough player to take advantage of specific instances where things are swung away from him. So, you know, we talk about how 
elite, truly elite receivers change the way teams play defense, right? They warp. They're like, uh, they're like black holes in that they suck all the defense towards them, right? right? And again, they were making this point that that might be why a guy like Julio Jones doesn't show that well in these separation metrics yeah. because you're trying to take that guy away, right? You're condensing. We're studying that too. The NBA has a name for it. Okay. And it's you know what it is or if you just – It's like a gravity or something. Yeah, yeah. I think it's called gravity. So same concept. I mean, that's um, what black holes are, Steve. They're just giant pits of gravity. So, or no gravity. Well, yeah, a lot of gravity. No, no, a lot of gravity. Extra gravity. Huge amounts of dense, so dense that everything collapsed in on it and is now sucking everything towards gravity. Black hole metric. Gravity. So that's the same, like, same concept, exactly. It's a black hole receiver. Right. So these guys draw all of the defense towards them and condense things down on them. And what that means is if you're on the other side, everything's swinging away from you. And some guys, I think it doesn't make a huge amount of difference. They're just not that great. I think Sammy Watkins is on that borderline where in against an honest defense, he's not consistently good enough to take a huge amount, a huge advantage of that and be a, a dominant guy. But if all of a sudden everybody is swinging towards Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey and you're leaving Sammy Watkins more open than he normally is, he can go way the hell off and get 150 yards and two touchdowns. Um, Which and, he did a couple times last right. year, week one, and then in the playoffs. Plus, he's got the fact that he is fast as hell and athletic. And every now and again, those guys, even against honest defenses, can go off, right? We saw him eviscerate Richard Sherman a couple of times because he's fast and because he's got the ability. So, you know, I don't love the guy. And given where he was drafted, I think it's not, you know, it's he's not a great receiver and probably hasn't justified that. But he's, right. he's really useful. And like him on this roster is a plus. Yeah, I mean, we talked about the Texans being this team that's all sub 4-4 and really difficult to defend, and some of it's hypothetical and everything. But um, Tyree Kill's actually done it, and he is, you know, he's kind of the gravity receiver there. He's going to attract um, a lot more defenders, opening things up for Hardman, for Sammy Watkins, and, of course, Travis Kelsey, the guy that is so difficult to cover. He's broken over 10 tackles per season uh, pretty much every year. Um Line him up all over the place. Different from George Kittle, I think, in that regard. Kittle, you work him in line. You take advantage of run-blocking mismatches. Travis Kelsey's taking taking advantage of passing mismatches left and right. So I don't know how you cover. We'll talk about the Chargers and their secondary, how they're going to try. But, yeah, the Chiefs are well-equipped, obviously, offensively. And now in the two years of Mahomes, we saw a defense that, as you mentioned, couldn't cover. They gave up 100 to the Rams that game. They gave up 37 to the Patriots in overtime in the AFC Championship. They did lose to the Chargers at the end of the season. They lost a few games where they just gave up in the 30s and 40s and mm-hmm. 50s in points. So last year, all they needed to do was creep back toward average, mm. as we said. Their pass rush got way worse last year on a play-by-play basis, but all they did was get a whole bunch of safety corner hybrid types in the back end, played more sound coverages, you know, played uh, a little bit more zone. Certainly didn't play the type of man coverage where they didn't. They didn't have the horses that in was 2018. Um, that's is that, that's essentially what happened. The, if you listen to our podcast four and five years ago, um, all the way up to 2018, really, we'd say the Chiefs, one of the toughest defenses on good quarterbacks, because they mm-hmm. play tough man coverage. They play man. They don't care. Yeah. They get after you. And we saw bad games from Brady and from Rivers and from other good quarterbacks through the years. Luck, whoever it was, they would make life difficult on quarterbacks. And then 2018, they made life easy on quarterbacks. Last year was just in between. It was like, just don't give up big plays. Right. And they did a really nice job of that. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they were so, they were so uh, good against these good quarterbacks for years because they had a reasonable 
quality of defensive back playing corner. And then all of a sudden they were doing the same things, but the corners sucked. Yeah. So it just wasn't good That's enough, it. right? It's no longer a challenge because you're playing a specific style of defense that only functions if those guys are like good enough. So they were getting eviscerated. And then last year, you either needed to get better personnel-wise or you needed to change up what you're doing enough that it's it's more tailored to the opposition you're facing. And they got they got good enough. Um, and that's all you need to, to be when you've got Patrick Mahomes. You don't need to be good on defense. You just need to be good enough that he isn't, you know, he doesn't have to score 60 in the game to win. Right. And you had you had a guy like Tyron Matthew in the back end. Juan Thornhill, you got hurt down the stretch and everything. But he is another guy that was a former corner early in his career at Virginia. Became a really good playmaking safety at the end of his career. Becomes a second-round pick. Um, both of those guys in the back end, uh, they're solid you know, again, the names aren't great at corner. Travarius Ward, who's had bouts of really good play at times, but you just you don't have consistent faith in him week in, week out. Bashad Breland, same thing. He made a ton of big plays down the stretch. Didn't grade well overall last year, um, but made some plays. So, honestly, I, I think the question's going to come down to can they duplicate that on defense again? You know, can, you know, Spags came in and he said, you know, we're going to trust time. our front four. We're going to mix it up. We're going to play cover two, and one week it's three, and then it's a little cover one when we need to. They mixed it all up. It wasn't just cover one every single down. Um, Frank Clark was not nearly as good as the two impact sacks would indicate Mm. in the playoffs. Um, Still not a great pass rusher, but they bring back Chris Jones, the best disruptor on their team, pay him a ton of money. Um, We discussed their cap implications a few weeks back and all that stuff, but just here for 2020, they're just as equipped to win it, but it's difficult to win. Yeah. Right. You don't know. You need every last break. Don't forget, Mahomes did get hurt last year. Matt Moore came in, played well enough to just, you know, help them earn the buy. Like a lot of things have to go right, um, even with Patrick Mahomes at quarterback. But they seem like they're, you know, right there is the favorites. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, so they're in a great position because it doesn't matter. So what differentiates them and the Ravens, I think, is that when you get the random game that comes along where a few things, a few freaky things happen and break against you and suddenly you're in a 14-point hole, right? Yeah. For the Ravens, that completely changes what they want to do. Um, it Maybe it shouldn't, but it does. So when we saw that, the Tennessee game, the playoffs, the wheels come off and it's, it's a completely different ball game. And now suddenly everything you were practicing goes out the window and you need to change what's happening. For the Chiefs, it's, it doesn't affect anything, right? And if anything, it puts them in a, in a position they're more happy to be in, right? Like Eric Eager's data, Andy Reid, when he's the sort of script, right? The first 15 plays of the game, like he's A, hyper pass heavy and B, you know, more than like almost any other team and B, those passes are unusually effective. So he yeah. skews pass heavy and is better at it than he should be. Um, when you put them in a hole, like the Texans game or whatever, that all you're doing is basically p- forcing them to that game plan, which is possibly what they should be doing anyway out of the gate. But it's like so radical that, you know, they've sort of there's at least a, something tapping the brakes enough to say, hey, let's let's be a little conventional about this. Right. Let's not go full Mike Leach and, you know, run like that. But when you put them in a hole, it actually, I think, makes them better, if anything. Whereas when you put the Ravens in a hole, you can win the game by doing that early. And Eric's concern when you bring Edward Solaire in there is to say, well, we spent the first rounder right. on this running back. But I think in because, that first 15, we got to feed this guy yeah. at least five or six carries. I think because he's a sort of pass specialist running back anyway, I don't think that's a big fear. I, I don't think so either. Look, I, 
they, the Chiefs front office compared him to Brian Westbrook, who right. Randy Reid had. Who's, the criticism was always, why is he not feeding Brian Res- Westbrook uh, yeah. more? This guy's amazing. Everybody in Philly was so mad at Andy Reid for right. not running the ball. That's all they talked about. Um, so even when he has good running backs, he doesn't necessarily give in. And the, so getting back to the defense, I think what makes them – I think what's really smart in terms of leaning on the uh, the Spags style of uh, defense <laughs> is – is look if you're not going to be great, if you're not going to have a great defense, absolutely skew towards. Look, we're going to take a shot that this the scheme for this week is what will do best against this this offense because it doesn't need to be good. Like the entire, just don't get torched and give up thirty five. Or even no, 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 not even that. Like the entire mo of this defense, right, is that our offense is going to score thirty five, right? So all you need to do is get a key stop every now and again, right? Just one. I, I don't need. It doesn't need to happen very often. Right. Just pull it together for one series, right? Because that one series is one they're not going to score and we're going to score and then that's how we win. And that's what we've seen is that, like, again, the defense didn't get good. It just was able to hold up in a couple of key series here and there. We saw that in the Super Bowl, right? Chris Jones gets his paw up, bats the ball down. There's your series, right? Now we get the ball back and we're in business. They luckily had Jimmy G overthrow. I mean, that's that's the thing about defense too. And the O for one, when it's like sometimes. that could have been a right. 65 yard touchdown or whatever it was. Um, two intriguing rookies: Willie Gay, second round linebacker, mm-hmm. really fast. They've been looking for coverage linebackers the last couple of years. They've drafted guys that we've liked in that role: Dorian O'Daniel, Ben Neiman, now Willie Gay. I think you know Neiman's played all right when he's been out there. And I think Gay has a chance. Did you see the practice rep, the highlight? It's time to get excited, Steve. For Gay? Yeah. Locked up in man coverage on Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Pass breakup. It's time. Okay. Hype machine. Let's crank it up. Willie Gay Jr. already justifying the PFF numbers, looking like a coverage stud. Then do we have to uh, temper expectations for Edwards-Hilaire? No, because we can can skew it all towards Willie Gay. Okay, it's just all Willie Gay. Edwards-Hilaire is great, but that was so good at at neutralizing. (laughs) The other guy that I love, uh, I don't know if he's going to have an impact this year, though. Legereus Sneed. Played safety last two years at Louisiana Tech. Initially came in as a corner. Um, when he lined up as an uh, outside corner, actually played it in 2018. As an outside corner, he's solid. He could do some things, and he's fast. Sub four mm-hmm. four developmental corner, but could help down the road. So Chiefs favorites in the NFL. In the NFL, yeah. No, I went with well. So I I debuted my predictions for the season. Oh yeah, today. How was that train wreck? <laughs> That's you're referring to my mentions. Um, yes. So here's the thing. I was writing the article, and you know, it's it's division winners, it's uh, wildcard team, Super Bowl champion, number one seeds, number one overall pick, and then a few of the individual specific things, right? MVP, rookie of the year, uh, sack leader, all that kind of stuff, right? And I'm writing this thing through, and I'm like, like, so obviously most of the time you're sort of leaning towards what you expect to happen, basically just picking the odds, right? But at some point, you're like, well, look, you know the NFL season doesn't go that way, right? If you just took the favor, like Vegas doesn't get it right every year. So at some point, you know there's some crazy things that happen. Teams that come out of nowhere, guys that come out of nowhere. I know where it's going. And you have to like, you have to swing at some of those, right? Otherwise, what's the point? If you're just writing the best, the, the most likely scenario for every one of these things, that's not, nobody wants to read that. So I'm like, all right, let's, let's figure out where the surprises are going to come from and let's roll some dices here. So I did that, and the very first, like the thing gets posted, like five minutes later, there's an article like, "PFF Sam says the Seahawks are going to win the division, not the 49ers. Idiot." Anyway, Stone um, Cold Lock, yeah, Lock of the Year. So, 
I, I, I honestly think the Ravens are more likely to win than the Chiefs. Really? They're my favorites. So You think that or you just were like things crazy things are gonna happen? Let's no, no, that's fun. one that I actually think. I know, you know, Colin Cowherd went off on one and was like the Ravens are sixteen and oh and blah blah. I I mean nobody's going sixteen and oh, I don't think, because nobody ever Can we, does real quick, most of the time. He also said the best bet would be the Browns. To win the division. So can we just please separate? Because I, I have a whole section <laughs> in all of my previews that says best bet. Yes. And I saw that our guys, you know, they picked the Lions. You just need to have a caveat. Did I say this on the other podcast? Yeah. They picked the Lions. You just need the caveat, best. right? Best bet. Best means, bet is a bet. Best bet means the thing. Listen, is, old takes exposed. There's a difference between a bet yes. and a favorite. It doesn't mean the thing that is most likely to happen. Sorry, it means the thing that is best yeah. value for the money that you're putting down against odds. So Coward said best bet yes. is the Browns because they're like right. plus 600 or whatever. But he also had this ridiculous but Raven 16-0. He went deal. on this thing and it was 16-0. and Everyone was like 16-0, and idiot, hype merchant, blah, blah. But if you actually listen to his thing. Like, I don't think his rant is unreasonable, right? His point is the Ravens, A, they're stacked. They're loaded to the gills. We've already made that point, right? They're in a great position. B, they – so the Chiefs are coming into the season. They just won the Super Bowl. They're in a great – they're feeling great, right? The Ravens are coming into the season off the back of being embarrassed and now being told they can't win this stuff because you've got this guy, Lamar. Sure, he's MVP, but he can't win a playoff game, right? They're coming in pissed off, and they got better than they were a year ago. I think his point of like, you know, he had this line that was like, they're the two most dangerous things in sports, right? They're elite and they're pissed, right? Those two things put together makes them really, oh, really man, good. Bought into him. I don't think that that's an unreasonable point. And I think, uh, you know, I said during the AFC North podcast, I think that defense is potentially special this yeah, year. Yeah, you're hanging your hat on that. Not even hanging my hat, but like, I don't think the Lamar thing is going away, right? I don't think he's disappearing and he's found out this year. If a big, I mean, part of it is, there's no preseason. There's no practice time, right? I don't think Lamar's disappearing. I don't think the offense generally is going to be found out. I think the defense could be special this year. And I think there's several places they got better. So, yeah, I, I think the Ravens are the favorites. I, I, the one thing that I think we just need to get away from, though, in general, we all get sucked into this. Like, the last thing we saw was the Chiefs win the Super Bowl. Yes. So you just think, well, they won the Super Bowl. <coughs> they have Mahomes. Nothing went wrong last year. So, like, if you look back at the Chiefs' season – like, they did lose to the Titans. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did uh, beat New England in New England, but there was also – it should have been a tie late. There was a missed call. Like, it, it wasn't this cakewalk. Mahomes got hurt. They had Matt Portmore come in, you know, keep them afloat for a little – like, a lot of things happened. The defense still wasn't great. It was just good enough down the stretch. Um, but the last thing we saw was they kept falling behind, making comebacks. Mahomes was special. Mahomes also, for three quarters, wasn't good in the Super Bowl. Like, Jimmy G was outplaying him by a mile – until about eight minutes left well, the 49ers, in the game. The 49ers' defense was getting to him more than anybody else had all season long. Yeah. They were actually rattling him and causing him problems. So my point on that is to not just be like, well, the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. Everything's going to go great for them again. When last year, everything went great for the Ravens until the last game. Right? Everything was smooth sure. sailing for the Ravens. They were dominant in all phases. They did it all. Um, and I do think Lamar does have some of that superstar doubt me Mm-hmm. ability right you want to doubt me i'll pr- like he has some of that prove it right i mean i'll prove you wrong in him we made the point earlier that those games that you know you get down 14 early they cause the ravens real problems right but on the other hand if that happens in like week five instead of the, the playoffs 
doesn't matter. Like they're rolling to the Super Bowl. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. Like the point is when things are breaking in their direction, which is most of the time because their roster is so good, they are wrecking teams, right? They've spent less time trailing than any other team in the NFL over like the last year or whatever, right? So if if that Titans game happens in some random game in the middle of the season, nobody remembers it, right? It's just it's a freak game. They lost. That's one of their two losses on the season. They're fourteen and two. They lost to the Browns in Week right. Four. They're nobody still, remembers that. They still go in there and yeah. steamroll whatever playoff team is in their way because they're better, right? So that's my point, right? If that that happened. That was a problem. It caused them to crash out. But most of the time, that doesn't happen. And if it doesn't happen this year in the playoffs, they're going to roll through everybody until they face a team like the Chiefs. All right, let's move on to the Las Vegas Raiders. Vegas. So now they have overtaken as the next team alphabetically in the AFC West. Won't won't anybody think of the alphabetical problems when these city changes happen? Well, the Chargers used to be last. Then they moved to Los Angeles. Then moved Oakland to last. Yeah. And now it's flipped back again. Because, I mean, that's just – that's the Raiders working so we don't talk about them last. The real loser in all this is people have to update all their alphabetical lists. Yeah, it's brutal. Uh, so the Raiders, what are they going to be this year, man? Derek Carr's looking for some respect. Yes, yes. Some respect. He's disrespected. For Derek Carr. He's disrespected. I'll do my Derek Ra- Carr rant again. Okay. Checks down too much. Throw the ball down the field. Yeah. He's good at throwing the ball down the field? When he does it. When he does it. Yeah. He's good at it. Just be more aggressive. Right, which is presumably why they brought in a Henry Ruggs, right? I've given you a guy with 4-2 speed who can jump, throw him the damn ball down the field. Um, the, the, there's still going to be a problem. You know, we, if we do this for other quarterbacks, we have to do it for, every, for all of them. The, the supporting cast was bad last year. Hmm. If they – going in, when we were doing our preview last year, they had Antonio Brown. And when we were doing the – you know, when you're looking at that team with Antonio Brown – and then knowing what they had from Darren with Darren Waller, it wouldn't have been that bad in theory, right? Once Antonio Brown's out, and it's like we got Tyrell Williams and a rookie Hunter Renfro, and you know Zay Jones eventually comes in, it's not good. No, it's still not great. But, even if Ruggs is awesome, I mean, if Ruggs is awesome, it suddenly becomes kind of really kind of well. If intriguing. he's if he's awesome, awesome, yeah, if he's, if he's awesome, rookie, awesome. Hunter Renfro's a good slot guy. Tyrell Williams is a capable number two. And Brian Edwards might be stealing. All right. those number two snaps. Anyway, he's a good third-round pick out and of South Carolina. And then you've got Darren Waller and Josh Jacobs, right? If they actually use him in the passing game, which and is what I love the most about him as a prospect. Nelson Aguilar. And didn't – who they've been – it's like proper training camp season, right? Nelson Aguilar's incredible talent. Change he's of good scenery. every third year. Change of scenery is going to do him good. You know what I mean? He's the guy getting the hype all, all of a sudden. Every third year, Nelson Aguilar catches the ball efficiently and is yeah. a good player. So I, they could come together. That's just like all the bo- – every bottom end, they had to rank near the bottom. They just had to on paper. Don't forget Jason Witt. Oh, God. You know what I love about it's that? It's just a waste of snaps. <laughs> it's a waste of snaps. They're not even playing, dressing it up as anything other than like veteran guy in the building, right? They asked him like, hey, Jason, what, what is the thing you're bringing to this team? And he was like, you know, steady veteran experience presence for these young guys. You're like – <laughs> why are we given a like okay fine but why is that why is that need a roster spot? or something i mean seriously every time he, he could not even move last year like the guy could barely even move and he was like he would have been the fastest tight end on the patriots but i just still. don't understand why that requires a roster spot i i'm 100 percent on board with the idea that that is a valuable thing to have in the building right but like what you're saying is that this guy as a walking demonstration of how you should be a professional player it's better than being a coach but, like, you don't – I don't need to spend a roster spot on that. I can pay you off the books to just be a theoretical player in this building, right? 
You're never going to play, but I want, I'm going to pay you as if you're playing, right? You're going to be titled assistant coach, right? You're going to get the same salary and you're never actually going to suit up, but you're going to go through like day to day week as if you're a football player. You're basically a pretend football player just so they can see what it looks like for a professional around here, right? You've never done it, Sam. You don't know how valuable And then when we get to Sunday, you just take your ass up to the, the luxury suite and, and chill. Why, why are we wasting a roster spot on this? I don't know. I don't understand. I mean, he still might be better than Foster Moreau. <sighs> Maybe. I really? He's tight end, too. Anyway, I want to see, I want to see aggressive car. I want to see how they deploy rugs. I don't know if they're looking at him and saying, well, we picked him over Judy. Mm-hmm. We picked him over C.D. Lamb. Two guys you mentioned. So what were their trump cards, right? Like the route running for Judy. Yep. Everything for Lamb. Everything for Lamb. Lamb felt like a man. He just felt like the guy. Carr was at his best when he had good Amari Cooper. Yeah. Lamb felt like the guy that would be the closest thing to that. Yeah. Line up on the outside. Move him to the slot if you want to. Let him be a short area yak guy. Let him be a downfield guy. Love his back shoulder stuff. Carr has really good touch. And he does, it's almost like that, you know, two-man basketball. Like, I felt like him and Cooper were just on the same page. Like, we're going to run back shoulders. We're going to run fades. We're going to do all this stuff together. Kind of like the chemistry that me and you were building We, we were building it yeah. by the time we got, I mean, of all the, f- I'm not even going to say it. <laughs> we lost a lot of rhythm, I'd say, during, <laughs> during COVID. <laughs> We've lost rhythm. Yeah, um, I, I, don't, I don't know that we'd be, uh, I don't know we'd be, we'd be as good right now. I really don't. So I don't know if, if Ruggs was the best fit here. But also, to justify the number 12 overall pick, is he going to be a 150 target guy? Are they going to feed him left and right? And do they feel the need to? I don't think so. I mean, if he becomes Deshaun Jackson, who's not a 150 target guy, he's just a, hey, go average 18, a catch, and be a deep threat, and you know create after the catch when you need to. Now they're talking about him move playing in the slot mm. as well. Right, which is ironic. I just want to one, know what the plan is. <laughs> one of the things that like the, the, the analytics models love the most about him is that he didn't play in the slot. And he played outside where the targets are more valuable you know, because they're deeper down the field typically. And now, now it's the Raiders being like, hey, he might play in the slot. I, I just – my mind is still blown that with your pick of all the receivers in the draft, Ruggs is the guy you take number but, one. But this is the whole like we have to keep up with the Chiefs influence i mean they even admitted it yeah. right and I, trust me I, we've said this many times like i want speed guys i like speed and all that stuff but if your choice is two guys who are probably more polished as receivers and you have a little bit better feel for those guys producing at the next level pick them and then go get your four three guy later i know rugs is four two but like you can get your four three guy later and you get your top receiver but also early. like i mean the chiefs aren't great this is what we said right the chiefs aren't great because they have a bunch of fast guys in the roster the chiefs are great because they have patrick mahomes the best play caller in the nfl and oh by the way a bunch of fast guys right but they had like, a bunch of but they had a bunch of fast guys as i mentioned before in 2017 also the best play took, caller in the nfl i understand but like but you can't be like the raiders like man we can't compete with this Andy Reid from a play calling standpoint, so can't try to duplicate what but they do. But you don't do. compete with them by taking the fourth most important facet of why they're good and trying to replicate that. I get it. Like, that's ridiculous. But That's absurd. If anything, if you have speedy rugs, if you can extract more aggressiveness out of Carr, that could be worth it. Like, 
you, just this fundamentally doesn't make any sense, right? The it's Broncos like, got speed guys because of the Chiefs. The Raiders got speed guys because of the Chiefs. It would be like the me, Chargers got a whole new second. I mean, they continue to revamp. It would their be secondary. like me trying to compete with you in the post by developing a better hook shot, right? Like or that's, better height, right? No, no, no. The hook shot the thing, hook right? Shot. Like that's not why you're better than me in the post. It's because you're a hundred pounds bigger than me and a foot taller. Sure. I do have a good hook. You know shot, what I mean? Though. Good hook. <clears throat> Like me developing that would not be would not be catching up. Like it just wouldn't affect it. You don't pick the fourth most important facet of that and try and get better at that. That's that's just that's bad process, Steve. <laughs> it is. They had Lynn Bowden. Lynn, Lynn Bowden, sorry, uh, QB slash receiver. Um, now in the running back room, junior for the Raiders. Yeah, junior. Uh, now in the running back room for the Raiders. You mm. mentioned Josh Jacobs and his receiving ability. They have some weapons there. I like. Offensively. I, like I mean. Fundamentally, I like a lot of the uh, supporting cast. I think it's I think it's good. I think they've got a lot of talented playmakers. It, it all comes down to that Derek Carr thing, right? The guy wants to play this year. I don't see. So he he took a lot of shit for you know saying that, right? Because it's like, well, play better, you know. Um, but when you listen to what he was saying, I think it was it was a reasonable thing. He's like, look, I'm playing this year because I'm tired of taking this crap, and I want to show I'm better than that. That's a, I Are you telling me a social media quote got taken out of yeah, uh, yeah. context? So I respect that attitude completely. He knows that the only way of shutting people up for that is to be better. And he, that's why he's playing this year. That's why he's not opting out. He wants to show up and, and be a better quarterback. And I completely respect that because I agree. I think he does need to be that. We've seen that 2016 season, right? I bought in. That 2016 year, I was like, Derek Carr is the next really good young quarterback yeah. in the NFL. Then he got that ankle injury, you know, that took him out, ruined the Raiders' season that year, and he's never really been the same guy since. See, I, I don't like using the injury thing. I, I'm not I saying it was because of that. I'm just right. saying that that does mark a pretty hard like stop. There's still of, Raiders fans though that would say because like in that year he had that terrible Thursday night game. Was it that year or 17? No, it was 16. Right? He had that terrible game against the Chiefs. Um. Yeah, under you know, night game, cold, whatever. But when Carr fifteen and sixteen, there was a point where Carr did look like the next really really just sixteen. That that the year. next guy. But this is where I wonder that that was when him and Amari, Amari were very much on the same page. Mm-hmm. They were playing really well together. We've seen Amari essentially get the best year out of Carr. We've seen Dak. him help get the best year right. out of Dak. And it goes back to my like tier three quarterback. Scenario. Yeah. I'm not saying it's always one just receiver that elevates everybody, but I think the tier three quarterbacks are dependent on that supporting cast, which is why I think, like, whether Derek wants respect or not, right. fine. From a Raiders perspective, it should be like, you are what you are. You're a tier three quarterback. Now, to maximize tier three quarterbacks, you can either never turn the ball over, Alex Smithian style, but even then, it's tough to win, or you could do what Matthew Stafford did last year and just start chucking it down the field four more yards per attempt, per target. I was insane. Four. Yeah. He went from six, the sixes to the tens yeah. in just average depth of target per play. That's every single target. And before Stafford got hurt, he was having one of the most efficient years of his career with a really good – when you go back and look at Galladay, Marvin Jones, Danny Amendola, great supporting cast. That would be what you need to do with the Raiders. Now, it's too late to make a great supporting cast this year. You hope Ruggs is that guy, but that's how you maximize Derek Carr. Here are these awesome receivers. Go chuck it because the offensive line's good enough, and even if they're not, Carr gets rid of the ball quick enough to protect them as well. But remember that 2016 season was the year that offensive line really came together. They were rock solid. And it was like an elite unit. That, I think, 
the sack where he got hurt was like the only sack that Donald Penn gave up all season. Oh, it was yeah. such a sad like thing. That guy was like perfect all year in pass protection. Gives up one play and it breaks Carr's ankle and that's I, the season done for them. I will say, you've brought up a couple things. There's, there's things that the data tells us, which is like, hey, yards after contact, that's, that's a running back stat. Yards before is close, is less running back, right? But there's a couple outliers to that. You've mentioned the Derrick Henry outlier. You had one with um, one of the receivers, I think, too. I think Carr, we always talk about the quarterback protects the offensive line and all that stuff. Yes, but like if you had to build an elite offensive – if I had an elite offensive line of all the quarterbacks that I would need to pair him with, I would say it's Carr. And I talked about this with Zach years ago. Like if Carr has any sort of pressure, I just you lose trust in what he's going to do under pressure. So while he can protect them, I would much rather – you know. Give him the elite offensive line versus say Philip. Like Philip Rivers has an elite offensive line this year, but I've seen Philip Rivers perform without one, and I he'll be okay. If Carr had the Colts offensive line, I think that's a better pairing. It's even better for him than it is for other quarterbacks. Yeah, Does that make sense? Is that my point? He, he needs better protection, protection, I think, than other guys, even with the quick release. He consistently has one of the steepest drop offs between like kept clean numbers and under pressure yeah. numbers. Like last season. PFF passing grade, 91.6 from a clean pocket, 56.4 when he's pressured. Passer rating drops from 103.7 to 70. Um, you know, adjusted completion percentage goes down 12 points, 11.4 points. I just think like he that. needs more room to operate. I mean, there's just there's stuff to it, I think, that you trust more. Um, but anyway, across the board, they're pretty good off it. They have – everybody's good. It's, it's July, hmm. Jan, it's August. It's yeah. training camp, right? Everybody's good. But they've got, I think, enough talent to take a step forward offensively. And they can take a big step forward if Carr's just a little bit more aggressive. Yeah. Forget about turnovers. Just ch- you know, start chucking it down the field. The other point that I wanted to make, though, about, um, is that like, the offense, it kind of functions, right? For all the sort of – the thing, the problem with Derek Carr is not that he's bad. It's that even when he's good – there's certain areas that it doesn't show up in, right? Or it sh- it, it's it's there's certain areas where I think he um, he doesn't show up when he needs to, right? Like this idea, like that flat line graph where you know the, it's supposed to be a curve, right? The, <clears throat> the quarterback is supposed to adjust how he plays the game depending on down and distance, right? Because there's no point throwing for seven yards when it's third and fifteen. It right. changes how you're supposed to play the game. And for Carr, it doesn't like he's it's like a flat line across the board. So he he just he's got into this. He's like he's sort of robotic, right? It's like this is how I play football, and that doesn't really adjust depending on the situation. I just play, and then we hope it's good enough and efficient enough that it wins. Well, but he needs to get better at at feeling game flow, the situation changing how he plays for how right. the situations unfolded around him that this reminds me of you you compared <laughs> car to cousins on the yeah. last show <clears throat> and remember orlovsky last year was breaking down a cousins play it's like kirk cousins getting play, blamed for not being aggressive enough but watch this play and he does everything right and it's by the book i mean it's like from the chalkboard i have to go here and then i gotta go here and then here and then my check yeah, down yeah. and he's showing the play and it's like look he goes here and he goes here and he does everything by the book right and i could just i could picture car down 20 against the Jets, checking down on third and 15 and coming back. Well, coach, I mean, I, I went to one and two and three and I checked down. And it's a, But at some point, it's like, how would Favre attack that? How would even Brady, how would conservative Brady attack that, right? Like he would 
you throw the dig and just like take a chance because it's the fourth quarter and you're down 20. And that's where those comebacks come from. Like that's what's lacking in some of those quarterbacks, a car, a cousins. Right. Like sometimes you got to go off <laughs> script. Just you think Mahomes is checking down just think, because the play told him to? I think by the book is actually a great way of describing those guys, right? They are they are great sort of as it's drawn up, written down quarterbacks, right? They've become sort of these master technicians, fundamental, the way it's supposed to look. But so much of being a great football player is the stuff that isn't written down, right? Absolutely. It's, and we it, it's it's usually sort of termed the intangibles, right? Because it's the crap that we can't. We haven't written it down in the manual because it's it's those outlier plays, the random weird things that come along that you just have to adjust to on the fly. And that's where Kirk Cousins and Derek Carr fall down. It's the things that are outside of the manual that there's no <laughs> there's no written instruction for, right? I haven't been able to drill this before. I need to adjust on the fly and, and figure it out. They don't do well. Right. That's where they fail, whereas the guys like Mahomes – those they're, they're amazing at those plays, right? Because they're doing most of that stuff by the seat of their pants anyway. So it's no different. And you know what's funny? Because I always make the Stafford comparison. Like you would never describe Stafford that way. But there was definitely a point where he, you know, everybody's like, hey, Stafford's cutting down on his turnovers and the interceptions are disappearing and this and that. And it's like, well, maybe he was too conservative for a few years. And then he went back to the more gunslingery type of reputation that was the reputation like if you say Stafford you're like big arms yeah. special plays but I used to always, it shows up three games a year you know last year he was way more aggressive so I don't know if Carr has him it has it in him or not but he is definitely trending more in this Alex Smith you know conservative type of quarterback uh, would love to see a more aggressive style there defensively um, still have issues on the defensive line we ranked him in the bottom four or five in our preseason rankings they revamped the linebacking core and then the secondary is another one of those, just like it is for other teams, it could go either way. You know, you could see some good stuff happen or it could be a disaster. I think adding my boy Prince of Mukamara, though, makes things a lot easier. I mean, if you just have one, at least one steady presence that you can depend upon, because everything else is, well, Trayvon Mullen in year two, second round pick. LaMarcus Joyner needs to bounce back, use him in the right role. Amik Robertson, their fourth round pick, looked like an awesome slot corner and an awesome pick, but he's a rookie fourth rounder. And don't forget, first-rounder Damon Arnett. I mean, I have more faith in Amik Robertson producing at the next level than I do first-round pick Damon Arnett. So I don't know what we're going to get out of the secondary for the Raiders. I am concerned about this defense's ability or uh, intention to get the best out of their – to put their players in the best situation to succeed, right? So you've got a Maurice Hurst who's trending upwards, who's looking like he could take a step and become a real impact sort of three-technique, pass rusher, defensive tackle, he might not even start because you just signed Malik Collins, who the coaching staff loves, who is like a demonstrably worse player, but in the same role, right? So unless you're planning on playing one of those guys out of position, I don't know that that's going to work, right? So you may end up relegating your best defensive lineman to a, a rotational role or putting him in a bad situation. Um, the secondary, arguably your best player is LaMarcus Joyner, who's really good when you play him as a free safety and a disaster when you play him as a nickelback. They're going to roll into the season playing him as a nickelback because they love Demarius Randall, who's a worse version of that free right, safety role. Who also is better as a free safety, but to your point, Correct. probably not as good 
But he's going to get the free safety role because the coaching staff loves him, which means you're going to be stuck playing LaMarcus Joyner where he sucks. And not only does he suck, but that's going to keep a guy like Amik Robertson on the bench who might actually be your best nickelback. So, like, across the board, I'm just seeing this sequence of situations where guys are not playing where they're best position to succeed. And that is concerning because that rarely works out well. They've thrown a lot of veteran resources at this. And I think there's a lot of talent there. Like I think there's a defense in there in terms of personnel that's that's really good. Yeah, not really good, but good. But they're good. And I mean, yeah, because even like Jeff Heath has been a reasonable safety and now he becomes a pretty good backup. Like the depth isn't bad there. Mm -hmm. Um, But to your point, they need to be in the right role. Um, Linebackers, similar they bring in two guys, uh, Corey Littleton and uh, Nick Witkowski, friend of the show. Friend of the show. Um, Nick Kay can play the runs, get that flipper. You know, he's still good in that particular role. Corey Littleton, not as good against the run, was outstanding in coverage. I mean, that guy can cover backs out of the backfield. You trust him from a um, an athleticism standpoint to, to hang with those guys. Um, so they've actually got a pretty good linebacking core for the first time in, what, five, ten years? I mean, it's a, it's a while since we've been talking about good Raiders linebackers. So... There's a lot of turnover in this back seven and and youth. It's a combination of youth and just like a whole bunch of veteran resources thrown at it. And that could go anyway. That could really go either way. Yeah. And the alternative, by the way, to the Malik Collins, Maurice Hurst, both starting thing is that, you know, Jonathan Hankins is the, the nose tackle. And then only one of those guys is an effective three tackle starter opposite. And the other guy has to be some kind of rotational body or whatever. And again, it sounds like they would default to Malik Collins being that guy, not Maurice Hurst, which I think is just, I mean, it's just not, Hurst is better. Absolutely need a better showing from Cleveland Farrell. Farrell. Farrell in year two. Uh, A nice showing by uh, fourth rounder last year. Where did the name go? Where did his name go? Uh, Max. Max Crosby. Yeah. Oh, he's on the the COVID list. What happened? Like, I know Max was awesome last year not nick bosa but he was awesome Good. yeah um so on paper this defensive line's not that much better though no so i think it's still going to be an issue pass rush wise yeah and we're in like this is the again the preseason hype period season of you know arden keys can this is a year for arden key you know he's got all the the potential in the world and blah blah but yeah you look at i'm also bought in in particular edge rusher you're like where is like there's not a ton of pressure coming from this group Arden Key's one of those other – he was mostly productive in college until his last year. Um, Slightly different role. He is one of those guys where it's just like you're bendy, you're speedy, you get to the edge and all that stuff. You just don't have the power. The bulk. And NFL offensive tackles will just sit there and like, I'm not afraid of your power. Mm. If they're afraid of your power, you can do some things. If they're not afraid of power – you're kind of limited, and I think that's always yeah, really I mean, limited art and yeah. key. Unless you're a ridiculous speed athlete, NFL offensive tackles can match you around the edge, at which right. point your only weapon is being able to convert the threat of speed to power and running the hell over them while they're trying to mirror you. Um, that's how those guys – like that's how Von Miller succeeds, right? Because he has the counter. It's not that every time he beats them to the edge. Basically, the only guy I've ever seen consistently do that is Robert Quinn. Robert Quinn has almost no counter whatsoever, but he is uniquely able to burst off the line and get around the corner, even though you know it's coming. Yep. Um, Everybody else has a counter. Dwight Freeney had the inside spin that was so freaky. Uh, Von Miller has a bunch of inside sort of, you know, 
uh, weird loop moves that he's got, but he's got that inside. He's got the bull rush, the power. Everybody Definitely has the power. counter. But if you only weigh 250 pounds and you're this long, lanky guy, you just don't have the leverage to hit them with that. And they don't, they're not scared of it anymore. So I think rushing the passer is going to be an issue. The secondary could land any which way. The offense has to – they just have to change, man. I don't think you could play ball control in this, in this division and win. Right. I think you have to be aggressive. So where do you think the Raiders end up landing? This is also year three of John Gruden, yeah. by the way. This is year three of ten, <laughs> of 10 where Gruden has to – does he have to? I mean, he's got seven more years. Does, he probably has to show some sort of you know, You know what the best gig in the entire world is? John Gruden's? Fired coach. Oh, absolutely. Um, fired coach. They, who is it? Juventus just fired uh, – damn it, what is the guy's name? Whatever their head coach, whose name's escaped me at the moment, right? Guy got like a twenty-one million euro or pound sterling payoff one year into his deal or whatever it was. Like Gruden, ten-year deal guaranteed. <laughs> that dude gets fired at any point in this de- in this deal. He's banking like a truckload of money. He's just hitting the beach. It's but if if they don't, if, if they're not good this year, I mean, they're probably looking at a new quarterback. They're probably overhauling everything. Yeah, except. Except Gruden, because you're yeah. already tied to him for another seven years. Like, you might as well keep him around for that. I do you see a scenario by which the Raiders aren't the worst team in this division? I don't oh, think yeah. they'll be terrible, but I yeah, think they'll because, be the worst team in the division. Because Tyrod could easily be the worst quarterback in the division. How dare you? Did you not watch the first episode of Hard Knocks? I didn't actually. You disgust me. It's Tyrod, not Tyrod. Anyway, he could be bad again. And Herbert could be bad. The Chargers could this be is bad why, they, could, they could have the worst quarterback. This situation. is why Mina Kimes gave me a higher grade than you on our podcast for our appearances. Because I didn't watch Hard Knocks or because I – Because myself and Mina understand the greatness of, of Tyrod Tyrod. I would say – I would say they're going to be that team that's like six to eight wins. Yeah, but I think that's – I think they'll be the six-win team that's worst of the division. Maybe. I think you're going to get like a seven to nine Broncos team. We'll get to the Chargers in a second and then the Chiefs. Yeah, but I mean, I could see a scenario where the Raiders aren't the worst. All right, fair but enough. I think they're in the bottom two. Now to the Chargers. Yes, speaking, they're, they're very Wait, who, similar to the Broncos. Who's your second team? The Broncos, like they're the other one in the bottom two. I would still, I would probably, I feel more comfortable with putting the Chargers at two. I'm, As in second in the division, second to in the, the Chiefs, second in the division. Right. Yeah. I so could, the Broncos I mean, are your other potential worst team. It, it might not sound like it because I was over there convincing. With the Broncos, I'm like, every position group's good, all this stuff. But if it comes down to it, I like where the Chargers are built better. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tyrod's done it <clears throat> more than Drew Locke has done it. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. Now, I don't have a ton of faith in Tyrod. <laughs> you don't. I don't. Which is ironic. I, I, like the rest of, I like the rest of the group. You and your Mr. Optimism and sunny side of everything I think have it's, no faith in, in Tyrod Taylor. And I think Chargers. it's style-wise. Like, even with – even like Rodgers – or Josh Allen, I don't, I don't like the guy that holds the ball for three seconds and you know takes too many True. sacks. I think there's just things. All right, he he doesn't win on the edges enough. Can I make my Tyrod pitch to you? Right? Can we just play it from a previous podcast? No, it's new. You have thirty seconds. Thirty seconds. Come on. You look, have a minute. Look, Tyrod Taylor is not a bad quarterback, right? 
Never was. Uh, no, not never was. Siri, was show me PFF grades a, from 2018. Was for a brief stretch in Cleveland, right, where he was so horrific that they had to yank him after a game and a half and put in Baker yeah. Mayfield. When he was like, oh, look, a blitzer. Yes. He's going to sack me. I have no explanation nor defense for the Cleveland era of Tyra Taylor. I don't know what happened there. And I'm not going to try and explain it away. It, let's just call it a freaky anomaly in his career and move on, right? Before that, we had three seasons of capable play in Buffalo. And what they were doing there with Greg Roman, who's now doing the same stuff in Baltimore, and Anthony Lynn, who's now the head coach with the Chargers, was some really creative, run-heavy focused stuff with Tyra Taylor as a, an athletic part of that running game, right, as a legitimate rushing threat. Now, he's not Lamar Jackson. Nobody is. On the other hand, he is like a 97th percentile athlete across the board, not a quarterback for all positions. Tyra Taylor is a pretty freaky athlete in his own right and is now working for a head coach that's had experience doing a lot of this creative stuff that is causing the league so many problems right now, right? And if anything, the last few years of seeing everybody else done it has only going to have emboldened those players or those coaches to use more of it, right? I think there was – Back when they were doing it with Buffalo, there was a sense of we can only do so much of this, right? I think a lot of that has disappeared given what we've seen with the Ravens. So they're going to run an offense that's a pain in the ass to deal with and you don't see very often. Two, Tyra Taylor is not a bad quarterback, is capable of being efficient within that offense. Three, Keenan Allen, one of the best route runners in the NFL, will get wide the hell open for Tyra Taylor to hit off the back of all those rushing things. And four, and final, finally, I think that this style of offense is how you beat the Chiefs because you can't replicate what the Chiefs do and beat them by being a worse version of them. The end. Your Honor, I rest my case. Yeah, fair points. My rebuttal. Yes. If they're going to try to run the Ravens' offense with Ish. this offensive line. Not, not entirely. They're just not built for any of that. What do you mean they're not built for any of that? They're not built for any of what you just described. How are they not built for it? The offensive line is terrible. It doesn't need to be great. They need Trey Turner. Try. Trey Turner yeah. to be that mauling run blocker that he hasn't been in it three years. You have, to run, you have to block well. Like, the Ravens also blocked well. But we've also talked about how much easier the system makes on those offensive linemen. I understand. So there's that. I would say that this receiving core, I, I think it's a waste if you're not running a, like a, a more of a high-volume passing attack. Having Keenan Allen, Mike Williams – like. We mentioned the other day, how many times did Lamar just drop back 20, 22, 24 times? You're going to do that when you have Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, and Hunter Henry? Yeah. Like, they would have been way better off. This is a Jameis-built team. Like, oh, you're going to get crushed by the offensive line? Who cares? You're going to keep ticking and right. chucking it downfield to these just, awesome players. But now you're just worse than the Chiefs. That's my point. I still think you – no, that's still your best bet. No, it's because not. The defense, because the defense can slow that, them down. That's the Texans, right? The Texans lost because they were a worse version of the Chiefs. No, and you no, go no. Get into the a Texans lost because their lose. defense is a disaster, and they have zero chance of slowing down the Chiefs. The way the Chargers have built defensively with Derwin James and Chris Harris and Casey Hayward and Desmond King, that team can at least slow down the Chiefs but like they if, did in 2018. Right. But what if now, right, now you have this defense that can slow down the Chiefs and potentially cause them to crap out on a couple of drives. And when they do that, you have an offense that's going to chew eight minutes off the clock with ball control. And now every time – I think you're buying in too much time, into this one hypothetical Well, that's your game. division. 
No, it's you're, not you're, like it's a fundamentally bad way of winning against other teams as well. But the point is, in order for this team no. to win a Super Bowl, you need to A, get past the Chiefs in your own division twice, and B, maybe do it a third time in the postseason. But the thing if is, if you're not built to beat them, forget about it. Go I home. think you're buying way too, you're buying into this one time that it happened with the Colts on Sunday Night Football. Because don't forget, the Chiefs have played the Ravens over the last two years. Uh-huh. Hasn't gone well for the Ravens. Like the, the Ravens, who were built to be the Ravens to run the strategy against yes. the Chiefs, have failed miserably doing that. I think you're buying too much into the Colts doing it one time. It, it's, it's the same. You're, you're Pete Carroll chasing the, the 18 <laughs> attempt Russell Wilson game. That's you. That's how you would be building this team. I'm not saying you're completely wrong in like, hey, given what I have right now with Tyrod, like that's the strategy. But don't tell me that's like the best way to beat the Chiefs. We're two years removed from the Chargers going head to head with the Chiefs and Phillip Rivers out dueling Mahomes on Thursday night football in front of the nation in his MVP season. Like it's doable. But you don't have you don't have Phillip Rivers anymore. I know, but you you're saying you're saying as a strategy, this is the way to beat the Chiefs. Yes. Maybe with the current team, because they have Tyrod and didn't I think address ab- the quarterback position for 2020. I think absent of an elite quarterback and a better overall roster, this is the way to beat the Chiefs. So Justin Herbert is also in the mix. When do we see Justin Herbert? Well, as I've just outlined, the Tyra Taylor offense. Is oh, the Chargers going to the playoffs, so Herbert's going to be like on the trading be block or something. Pretty successful. Ergo, trade him on the, put um, him on the trading block. Ergo, you're going to you're going to see Tyra Taylor for most of it, and not Justin Herbert. I honestly think that even like, if they run. A non-Ravensy offense. I don't think this group of playmakers is a good pairing for Tyrod, who doesn't work the intermediate stuff very well, doesn't have great short area accuracy, has a deep ball that's that's hit or miss. And when it when it hit, it was 2015. I think it was his first year starting. Right, it was awesome. That was Sammy Watkins' huge year, and you could see him, you know, giving Mike Williams a few opportunities. But I don't see him necessarily maximizing Keenan Allen from a high volume standpoint or Hunter Henry. Oh, from Mike. From a fantasy standpoint, the Chargers receivers are dead. Yeah. Like those guys, whether it's Justin Herbert out there with his like blind scattershot approach of just like heave it and hope, or whether it's Tyra Taylor running this run heavy offense that just won't give them enough volume, forget about it. Like those guys are not going to produce at any kind of high volume. Even Eckler. I mean, this is, I think of all the years, this is the year they were better off having Philip Rivers back there. Maybe. Spreading around, um, taking the hits when you have to. Like, left tackle could be an absolute disaster. Russell Okun, when healthy, was was decent. It is interesting. They that- bring in Brian Bulaga. I don't know if Bulaga's going to move over. Sam Tebby's going to move over there. Like, it's bad. It is interesting that the Chiefs dis- – or not the Chiefs. The Chargers seem to, seem to decide very early that, you know what, as great a servant as you've been here – for this franchise through San Diego and Los Angeles, we're not interested in bringing you back. <laughs> Bye-bye. You I, also, I, mean? I also thought that they went into draft night really thinking, like I did, that they were going to come out with Tua. And instead they came out with Justin Herbert. And I, and I don't know if that was like, well, we got three quarterbacks ranked in our top ten. Whoever we get, we get. We're happy. Or if it's like, man, we really had Burrow and Tua, and I guess we'll take Herbert if he's still there. Maybe. Um, anyway, Herbert, I still think we'll – I think – You've painted this one very like of the ten thousand simulations, yours is like going to happen once. What do you once? I don't. I don't think that this is an unlikely scenario to unfold. We've seen Tyra Taylor be good in a system like this, and the coach, by the way, in this system was, was the in guy Buffalo. that's the head coach now. Was there? He was I there. I don't think that this is a crazy scenario. I honestly think that this team, whether I, your 
your question is one I don't know the answer to, right? Which is, did they roll into the draft thinking this was a Tua? They were coming out with Tua, and suddenly it's Herbert, and it's like, ah, crap. Like, I don't know. So I don't know now if the plan is, well, look, now we've got Justin Herbert. We don't love that. This is a long-term thing. So therefore, the best thing we can do right now is roll this Tyrod Taylor Buffalo offense out. That's our best way of winning, given the current situation. Or whether that was kind of like the plan all along, right? Is that regardless of whether we get Tua or Herbert, like this is the best way of winning right now um, with the group that we have. Either way, though, I think it is the right, the best way they have of winning. And I don't know that it will be unsuccessful given the rest of the roster. I, look, I think they've got one of the better groups of playmakers. I think they could win in the passing game. But at the same time, they did try that with Rivers over the last couple of years. Was you know they were close in 2018. They made a good run last year. He was not, not so much. I, so I, yes, look, I'm leaning into this in a way that might be over the top, right? Tyra Taylor is not Lamar Jackson, and not being Lamar Jackson is a pretty big hurdle to achieving success. With you that can offense. lean into your take. You lean into your takes. It's but fine. When you look at the stuff they do, right? That volume of misdirection and option heavy stuff. It doesn't just affect the run game. It changes the pass game. And all this, I, you know, Philip Rivers is clearly a better passer than Tyra Taylor is in terms of like pure pocket passer going through a progression, having more volume, all that kind of stuff. But the same things we're talking about with Lamar Jackson in terms of what he does in the run game alters the success you can have in the pass game. Right. Is going to be true for Tyra Taylor as well. I get that. When you do that, though, like Lamar doesn't have the best supporting cast of receivers right. on paper so you don't need like the chargers do it's almost to me it's almost like a waste like you you look right. really far to find a keenan allen who can get open as often as, yes. as he does and now you're telling me well we'll just scheme him open who cares like but this you is waste like that really good skill set this is like the green bay packers conversation that we'll have on a, a future podcast right everybody is looking at this and the way they approach this offseason is like idiots like they are taking the ball out of the hands of one of the best quarterbacks in the nfl even if he's in in decline that's just a bad way of doing things. Whereas what they're looking at is saying, look, we have one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. The best way of maximizing this guy's impact is to reduce what we're asking of him and making the, the times he does uh, pass the ball more effective, right? And that the balance there is better. Now, you can definitely argue whether they're right or wrong on that. The Russell but, Wilson method. Right, of but the last that's like the different, yeah. the different thought processes, thought processes of approaching this is. That's the difference, right? It, it, you're saying by being a lower volume passing attack, it's just because you have the weapons to do that, it's a waste, right? It's a bad way of doing it. Whereas what I'm saying is your passing game is going to be more efficient because of what you're doing in the run game. And the run game in against a team like the Chiefs has, has benefits in a way it doesn't in abstract overall terms. The, the thing that I think is going to be really key in determining how good this offense is is whether Tyrod Taylor rediscovers how to hit those deep balls. That right, remember the first year in Buffalo, like every yeah. week it seemed like he was. There was at least one right, perfect. He deep was ball, hitting yeah. like a forty-yard shot against cover two into a bucket, and it was just like a dagger to a defense. Like those are huge plays, and then for some reason they 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 disappeared. He wasn't hitting those later on in his career. I think that was a big reason that like the team. And the fan base soured on him, right? Because you want to see those highlight plays. Those are the things that get people excited. And now you've got Josh Allen, who's nailing some of those big plays every week. It's the sort of down-to-down stuff. That not the not deep good ball, at. but you know. Right. But like the, dag- the dagger play that's like a key right. thing, right? He's hitting those enough to get everyone excited. 
So if, if Taylor can hit some of those, and again, they're made easier by what gets opened up by the run game, like Lamar Jackson. Lamar was hitting those last year. Tyra Taylor was hitting those in his first year in Buffalo. If he hits them in 2020, this offense will be good. All right, let's go to the defensive side of the ball. They lock up Joey Bosa, who has the number one pass rush win rate since, since entering the league among all edge defenders. So he's still awesome. Melvin Ingram on the other side has taken a bit of a step back. We still have two really good bookend pass rushers. They've been really rough on the interior. Jerry, Tull- Jerry Tillery didn't do anything yeah. to alleviate those concerns last year as a rookie. So they bring in Linval Joseph. Still a massive question mark on the defensive interior. Linebacker, they bring in Kenneth Murray to be that athletic, mm. uh, you know, rangy player that you'd need in this cover three heavy system that uh, I don't think the Chargers have really had since em- uh, employing that system here. But the real win is in the secondary that I mentioned him earlier. How are they going to deploy Casey Hayward, uh, Chris Harris, mm-hmm. Desmond King, two, three guys who have all played corner, two of which have predominantly played the slot, Derwin James, Mr. Do-Everything, Nasir Adderley coming back off of injury, Rayshon Jenkins. Uh, they are loaded with talent in the secondary. Our number two secondary, we had debates internally that wanted to rank them number one. Fair argument. Mm-hmm. They're loaded. How are they going to deploy those guys? And is that going to be enough? Because that's what it all comes down to. Tyrod or not, if this – defense performs as elite as the paper version looks, they're going to be tough to beat. I mean, this team's built, this defense is built the right way for the NFL, today's NFL. Not even just the Chiefs, though, against the Chiefs as well, but generally, right? They have loaded up in the secondary and they have a pass rush duo, not just one guy, but yeah, they you need, two guys you need a couple. that are going to cause you problems. At that point, like, it doesn't matter if they can't stop the run. Like, unless they are prohibitively wretched against the run yeah it needs to be like six or seven yards right like they're giving up seven yards a clip it doesn't matter if they're bad against the run they're they should be so good against the pass that it changes that um friend of the show chris harris told us that he's going to be a slot corner in for the chargers and they're going to pivot desmond king to safety i think that's probably the right thing to do but the only thing that does is make this question mark at the other cornerback spot right? right um and even then it's only for like well, no, I guess that guy's got to play full-time. But that other cornerback spot is like the only question mark in this entire secondary. Derwin can do that too. <laughs> just line him up as the other corner? It's just fascinating to me because Derwin's been fine. He's been great when he's played. It is the most um, predictable defense. Like they play Seattle 3. Yeah. That's what they do. Uh, Derwin plays a specific role. Very rarely is he going to play free safety. When he does, he still is able to make plays, made some red zone plays, You know, playing somewhat deep there. Um but he's going to play in and around the line of scrimmage, play that Cam Chancellor role. Is Adderley going to be that guy that plays more free safety? Year two, we'll see. Um, but yeah, I think to your point, that third corner, essentially, which is the outside corner in a nickel situation, would be the one question mark there in the back end. Yeah, and as long as they get, again, like if they get average play there, this is the best secondary in the NFL probably um, because of the other guys who are all elite. I mean, Casey Hayward has the best forced incompletion rate of the last decade. Um, like he's a phenomenal cornerback that probably doesn't get the credit he deserves because he plays in this cover three system and gets the the Richard Sherman, you're just his own corner bullshit thrown his way. To be fair, they're still they haven't done a great job of slowing down the Chiefs. No, but and who the hell they, has? Nobody like, has. But you know, it's not like they have do they have the speed guy to match up with Tyreek? Do again. they do they need to mix it up? <laughs> who does? Do they need to mix it up and be more, you know, matchup centric and you know, less predictable? defensively with this defensive talent like on paper this feels like the defensive talent you'd want to deploy into a more creative way 
Yeah. I mean, there's, I think there's always value in becoming more game to game matchup focused. I think if you have a system and that's what you play week to week, a good offense is going to figure it out. Like that's why the single most important factor in terms of receiver separation is offensive scheme because you know how to, how to beat things, right? You have man beaters, you have zone beaters, you know how to beat defenses that you're going to see. So unless you're ramping up like a giant amount of disguise or, um, you know, you need to be creative, I think, in order for a defense to be genuinely imposing. So because the Chargers have one of the more vanilla defenses in the NFL, there's an extent to which the best offenses in the league are going to take it to town. So what do you think? Your Chargers. We've been hyping the Chargers up for the last eight years. Yeah. You're just going to keep it going? Uh, to a degree. I mean, I think they're probably the second best team in the division. Um, I think being the second best team in this division probably puts you in wild card contention. If for no other reason, there's three of them this year. Uh, I don't really see them taking down the chiefs unless what I've described as this Tyra Taylor offense is like the peak 99th percentile outcome of that possible scenario. You're one sim. Out of yeah. 10, like if it's like, if it, it's the absolute home run, best case scenario, then maybe, if it isn't, then it might be – I think it's the best strategy to do it, but the Chiefs are still better, so they'll win. As optimistic as I am with every team here, <laughs> I do feel like this might be the division where the Chiefs win 13 and then the second-place team wins eight. Okay. And everybody wins between six and eight. I mean, if I, you I look at all that. the – like the Chargers have – the Chargers and the Broncos both have really good rosters, mm-hmm. but questions at quarterback. Yeah. The Raiders have the second-best quarterback in the division over Tyrod. Car over Tyrod. Is that fair? Okay. I'll I'll allow it. For now. But the Raiders probably have the worst overall roster. Yeah. However, they have probably the biggest they have another wide range of outcomes given all the veterans and you know guys that they've added. So mm-hmm. I think this division might be Chiefs way up here and a whole bunch of I can see that. six to eight win teams. Chargers one of the three teams, I think, that had no opt outs at all running into the season with a full full complement. So, like, when that happens, when, when New England had all their opt-outs, everybody's like, see that? The Brady factor. Brady leaves. Nobody wants to play anymore. Yeah. Tyrod's in. Everyone wants to play. Tyrod factor. Tyrod. People see, are buying into Tyrod. You're on board now. Yeah? Yeah, you can go I'm back just, on Mina's I'm show. just trying to give you, you – you made a four, four strong points here. Number five might be Tyrod. Keeps everyone in the building. Yeah. 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 You can – yeah, you can go Leader back of on, men. Back on Mina's show now. Only Perfect. after you've seen Hard Knocks, obviously. She compared me to Derek Carr. Yeah. She gave me like a 79 or whatever, oh, right? That's, okay. Yeah. And then Stopsky tweeted at her and said, well, that's Derek Carr. Huh. And then right. she said, there's no shame in being the Derek Carr of PFF. Really? I'm pretty by the book. Just get the job done. Not going to go above and beyond, really. Not going to show up in not clutch. Not going to be a disaster. Not going to show up in clutch time? Nope. Probably throw the, not. Throw the ball away on fourth down? Yeah. That's your, that's your thing? I mean, I thought I was more like the Phillip Rivers, given all the kids. You do move. You but. did move at times, like Philip Rivers. You know when you had like the knee problem and you were like gimping your way up the, oh my gosh, the court. That was, that was very Philip Rivers. That was tough. This was about a year ago. This time we started like ramping up the hoops. All right, that's about it. AFC West is in the books. Next week we'll start with the NFC. We'll be back on Monday. Let us know what you think of the new beautiful studio and uh, what you want to see in the background if you're on YouTube. Thanks for tuning in. Go check out the other podcast because it was more than just the division. We talked about all sorts of fun stuff. We never repeat ourselves. It's always fresh. Hmm. But go check out the other 
AFC Breakdowns. We'll be back here with the NFC next week.